Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. If you have a Bible, meet me in Matthew chapter 2. We are going to look at one of the most interesting and powerful stories surrounding the Christmas story. And we're in a series called Christmas Cast. We're looking at all the different people uh, that God included in the Christmas story when he sent his son into the world to be born. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking at. In just a second, we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses. But there might be more myths and more fallacies surrounding the story of the wise men than any other story in the Bible. Some of these myths can be found in the title of a Christmas hymn called We Three Kings, which, by the way, is not a a bad song. I mean, other than the title and the first three words, uh, there's a lot of great truth in, um, in that song. But we three kings, more than likely there was more than three that came, and I think we could prove that decisively just by uh, looking at uh, chapter 2 and verse 3 where it says that when they came uh, into Jerusalem that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem was troubled. And uh, I think it would be uh, hard-pressed for three men to trouble a whole city. It lends me and many others to believe that there's probably and likely many more than three in this group that came. And then the second thing is that they weren't kings. They were magi. There were those who studied the stars, and but they weren't kings. Another myth surrounds the, the common nativity setup. You know, if you go to a store and I mean, purchase a nativity, if you have one, if you've seen one on television, uh, normally you have Mary, Joseph, shepherds, angels, and wise men in Bethlehem the night Jesus was born. But the reality is, is that more than likely the wise men came many months later, maybe even close to two years after his birth. So how do you know that? Well, there's a couple ways that, that many believe that. The first is that the word babe in Luke 2 and the phrase young child in Matthew 2 are two different words. One describes an infant, the other describes a, a, a toddler. The other is the fact that when Herod, it says that he diligently inquired of the wise men what time the star appeared, and the reason was is that he wanted to kill all the children that were born in Bethlehem and he determined that two years and under would take care of the problem. And so that leads some people to think that Jesus may have been as close to two years old when the wise men came. Another myth is that they followed the star as a guide all the way from the east to Bethlehem. That they followed the star constantly from the east to Bethlehem, but in reality, 
Scripture seems to indicate that the star appeared to them when they were in the east, but wasn't constantly in the sky and did not reappear to them until they were in Jerusalem. Now, now, although there are several myths that, that could detract us from the story and maybe not give us a clear picture of all that was going on surrounding the events of Christ's birth, and but there are still some powerful lessons that we can learn and great lessons that we can learn from the Magi. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1 to 12. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now, now why was Herod in such a frenzy? Well, Herod lived with this fear that someone was going to take his throne. He even had, I believe, two of his own sons killed because he was afraid they were going to usurp his throne. And when he hears news that there is one that's born king of the Jews. You see, Herod was not by, by birth to be in the position of king over Judea, but he was at, at this point. And so here he has this fear. Now, why is all Jerusalem troubled? Because they know that when Herod is angry, that bad things happen. So everyone's troubled by the fact that Herod could be unstable. So he gathers all the chief priests and scribes to find out where Christ should be born. And they, they knew their Bible, and, and it says in verse 5, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and Thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, a ruler, a shepherd, a leader that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they heard, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, or behold, something sudden. The star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It's hard for us um, to accurately understand that in English, but the idea is just joy, exceptional joy, incredible abounding joy by the fact that now they see the star and the star is guiding them. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Well, we learned some powerful lessons from the Magi. We learned that God works in mysterious ways to bring people to himself. 
we learn that there are people who God has revealed himself to, and now they are sincerely and eagerly seeking him. We learn that there are people who seem to be far from the truth, but in reality are so near to Christ. And there are people who seem to be so near to the Lord, but in reality they are so far from him. But specifically today, I want to look at three lessons that the wise men teach us about revelation That's the first lesson they teach us. They teach us about revelation. Secondly, they teach us about seeking. And thirdly, they teach us about worship. So what do they teach us about revelation? What do they teach us about seeking? And what do they teach us about worship? Let me give these to you. Number one, the wise men teach us that God reveals himself through light to all mankind. That God reveals himself through light to all mankind. The scripture says that these wise men came from the east because they saw his star. Now that's an interesting phrase. We have seen his star. Somehow God revealed to these wise men who studied the stars that this particular star, this particular light that they had observed signified that the king of the Jews would be born. We don't know exactly how they know this. I mean, how did they know that this star signified the the birth of the king of the Jews? We don't exactly know. We don't really even know what this star was. Some people uh, believe that it was an angel. There's the word that's used here in Greek for star is sometimes in the Bible used to refer to an angel. That could be. There's some that believes it was some type of luminary, some type of maybe meteor, some type of, of star, supernatural star. It was certainly supernatural. Others believe that like in the Old Testament, when God led his people by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, which was known as the Shekinah glory of God, that that's what the wise men saw. You know, I'm I'm not really sure what the nature of the light that they saw was, and quite frankly, I think we could get too tied up in that and really not come away with any lasting fruits, but I think the deeper question to ask is how did they know that this light signified the birth of the king of the Jews? Well, we don't know exactly. Some say it could be the writings of Daniel, who was in Babylonian captivity. Some point to the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24, 17, when he says this, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And that is an interesting verse. Others say, and perhaps this is the the best explanation, but others say that it might have been through direct divine revelation from God, that God spoke to them in some way clearly that the star represented the birth of the king of the Jews. And if you think that's too far-fetched, then 
I'm afraid you'd have a problem when you come to Matthew 2, verse 12, when it says that God spoke directly to them in a dream, telling them not to go back to Herod. So we do know, and there is evidence, that they did receive divine, direct revelation from God. But we really don't know exactly how they knew it. But what is important is for us to understand that God revealed himself to them through this light that would signify that Messiah was born in Israel. That God reveals himself to people through light. You know, there's an old joke about a man who ignored an evacuation order because of a coming flood and the waters began to rise and a rescue officer on a boat came by his house and told him to get in or he might drown. The man replied, I'm fine. God will take care of me. When the water continued to rise, he eventually was forced to the roof of his house and a helicopter flew over and lowered a ladder. But again, he refused saying, God will take care of me. After he drowned, he asked God, God, why didn't you rescue me? God says, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. What else did you want? <laughs> what do I mean when I say that God reveals himself through light to all mankind? Light is used in the Bible to represent often, to represent truth, revelation, and knowledge. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. That day in and day out, the universe around us utters speech and knowledge and that there is no language that has not heard the voice of God speaking through creation. God reveals himself through the light of the sun, through the light of the moon and the stars, showing people that he's real. This universe speaks truth to people about God. Turn with me, hold your, hold your finger here at Matthew 2, but turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60. This is a very intriguing passage. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 5. Scripture says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. That's why some believe that the wise men were kings because of that reference. And I don't think that proves that at all. But it is a fascinating verse. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. 
the forces of the Gentiles shall come to thee. What do I mean by this first point, that God reveals himself through light to all of mankind? I simply want you to see this, that there's not a person on the planet that God has not revealed himself to in some measure. That God speaks every day through creation, showing people his power, his existence, God speaks through his written word, which is the light of truth. And it's been translated in so many languages and distributed so much in the world. God is speaking through his servants and through missionaries and through witnesses that travel and live throughout the world. Sharing the message of the gospel. And the wise men teach us that no one is without excuse, that God is still speaking, that we've all been given light, that God has revealed himself sufficiently to you, to everyone you know, and to everyone you don't know. And I don't know who's the original author of this quote, but I think it is a truthful quote when he said that what we know about God in creation, just by observing the universe, walking outside and seeing the snow, and seeing the leaves change and fall, and looking out at night to see the stars, that is not enough to save us, but it's enough to condemn us. Because in that is enough light that you and I would stop to seek the one created all of that and that leads me to my second point not only has god revealed himself through light to all of mankind but secondly those who respond to god's light in faith and seek the lord will find him those who respond to god's light in faith and seek him will find him see the wise men saw the light and by God's work, they understood that it meant the birth of the king of the Jews, and they went on a journey to find this king. The star appeared to them while they were in the east, and then it seems that it disappeared. So when they made their journey from the east to Jerusalem, they went there by faith. They didn't know exactly where he'd be born. They didn't know exactly how to find him, so what did they do? They, they went to Jerusalem, the capital of Judea. And it was in Jerusalem that they sought out Herod, and Herod sought out the chief priests and scribes. And it's there that the wise men learned that Bethlehem is the place of his birth. And notice what it says in verse 9. After they'd learned that Bethlehem is the place, verse 9 says, And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo! Behold, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The star had reappeared and it took them directly to where they could find the king. This reminds me of an illustration in Acts chapter 10 when there's a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Uh, he did not grow up in a family or in a community where he was taught 
about the one true and living God, but Cornelius was a devout man and who feared God. He, he knew that there was a God. In the light of truth and knowledge that he had, he had responded to that. And as a man who was constantly praying, seeking to know this God that he knew existed. And in answer to his prayer, God sent him Simon Peter to speak the gospel to him so that Cornelius could come into saving relationship with this God that he knew existed, but up to that point he had not known personally. You see, Cornelius had been given light and he feared this God and he prayed to this God. And it says he even gave alms to people. He, he, he gave to meet needs. He was seeking to be a good man. He responded in faith to the light that God had given him and he was seeking the Lord and he found the Lord, by God's grace and through the work of Peter. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Seek me, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 27. I want you to see this. Turn, in fact, turn to Acts 15 first. Acts 15 and verse 17. Acts 15, 17 says that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. That the Gentiles may seek the Lord. That's what the scripture says there. Now look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 27. This is on the message where he's preaching on Mars Hill. And he says in verse 22, Then Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God has given you light, but have you responded 
in faith to that light and sought the Lord. Don't expect more light from God until you've responded to the light that he's already given you. And it's amazing that some people have so much light, but yet they're so unresponsive. But it's always thrilling to me when, when I've been able to lead someone to Christ and I've, I've met them and they, they said, yeah, you know, I, 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 I had a friend that, that worked with me and used to invite me to church and used to tell me about Christ. And, or someone come and they'll bring a, a card and I said, I got this in the mail and I haven't been able to sleep since I got it. Or some would say, you know, I've got a neighbor who has a Bible study that I've gone to from time to time. And these people that, that come and they've, they've experienced light and God is speaking to them. Sometimes it's through an accident, through a tragedy, through a difficulty. They lost their job. And God speaks. If they respond in faith and will seek him, they will find him. They will not only do the wise men teach us that God reveals himself through light to all mankind, and then secondly, that those who respond to God's light in faith and seek the Lord will find him. Thirdly, the wise men teach us that those who find the Lord will offer him costly worship. Those who find the Lord will offer him costly worship worship verse 11 says and when they were coming to the house they saw this is matthew 2 11 they saw the young child with mary his mother and fell down fell down and worshiped him when they found the christ the king of the jews they bowed before him in worship and I want you to understand that this was not mere reverence. This was worship. They were not just respecting that this is now someone who is going to be a political ruler and we want to get on his good side. And so uh, in an act of, of kind of uh, political expediency here to kind of protect ourselves, we're going to bow before him and reverence him. No, this was worship. They opened their treasures and express their worship by offering him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, a lot of people point to the fact of what could be the symbolic representation in those three gifts, that gold symbolizes the fact that Jesus is not just king of the Jews, but that he's king of kings. Frankincense, some would say, represented the fragrance of Jesus' life as our intercessor, that perfect life that was a sweet-smelling fragrance unto God. And then some would say that myrrh represents the bitter suffering, his death, his agony on the cross, the fact that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You say, what, what do you think, Pastor? Does those things symbolize that? I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. 
But I think uh, all of those things that I just mentioned about Jesus are certainly true. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. That his life was the perfect, sweet-smelling savor in the God. And as our intercessor, the one who stood in our place. And he is certainly the man of sorrows who was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Did the wise men know all that when they picked out those gifts? I'm going to say probably not. I think that when they chose those gifts, those were just the costliest gifts that were fit for this king that they had come to worship and what they knew about this king. But even though the wise men, and they may have known those things, but even if they didn't know that gold, frankincense, and myrrh could represent those things, God knew that. And could it be that God sovereignly worked that they would bring those gifts to represent the life and the person of this king? But what we see from the wise men here is that when they came and worshipped him, they worshipped him with costly worship. And really, costly is kind of redundant with the word worship because there's no such thing as worship that is cheap. I think of the story in in, uh, Mark chapter 14 when the woman comes into Simon's house where Jesus is eating, and she comes in with a box in her hand, an alabaster box. And in that box is expensive, precious ointment. And in front of all the people, she breaks that box, and she pours it over her Lord's head. And there were people that said, well, what a waste. We could have sold that. We could have used it for the poor. She took the most precious thing that she had, materially speaking. And she poured it out to Jesus. And her worship cost her. It cost her not only that expensive ointment, but it cost her her pride. It cost her perhaps a, a little bit of uncomfortableness of walking in there in front of all those people to give to Jesus what he deserved, deserves. You see, true worship is always costly. Remember what David said, and I believe it's 2 Samuel 24, when he said, Shall I offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing? Shall I offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing? Friend, when you find Jesus, you will recognize that he is the pearl of great pride. He is the treasure of all treasures. And you will bow before him and give to him all that you have. True worship is costly. 
Some might would say, well, if I had gold, if I had frankincense, and I had myrrh, then that would be easy to give that to Jesus. Can I say that you have something far more valuable than gold, frankincense, and myrrh? You have your life. You have your body, your soul, your spirit. And that's why I think it's significant that first the wise men bowed themselves and then they gave something material. They first yielded their own lives and then their possessions. And it leads me to what I finally want to say about this point, that if you truly do worship the Lord, when you find Him and you worship Him, you'll give Him your time. You will give your money. You will give your possessions and your thoughts. There will be a tangibleness about your worship. As we see demonstrated in the story of the wise men. I mentioned the song, We Three Kings. Really, it's, it has some great truths in it. Born, verse 2 says, Born a king on Bethlehem's plain. Gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. And maybe my favorite verse of all is, Glorious now behold him arise. King and God and sacrifice. Alleluia. Alleluia, earth to heaven replies. What a truth. The wise men teach us that God reveals himself through light to every person. They teach us that those who respond to God's light in faith, you see, God initiates this, but those who respond to God's light in faith and seek him will find. And they teach us that those who find this king will bow before him and offer him costly worship. Have you found him? Do you know Jesus? Because one of the most powerful things that we learn from this story is that those who appear to be so distant from where God is might actually be the nearest. And that those who seem to be so close to where God is might be the furthest from Him. From the outside looking in, it looked like these Gentile wise men, this group of magi in the East, were so far from the knowledge of truth, but in reality... God was so near to them and guiding them. But the chief priests and the scribes who carried around the scripture were two miles away. Jerusalem to Bethlehem was two miles away. And yet their hearts were so far from him. What about you? Have you found him? 
can you say like the great hymn that says, Oh, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood I now am saved. If you can't say that, you can today. If you'll bow before Christ, turn from your sin, believe on him as your God, as your Lord, and as the sacrifice and substitute for your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Would you pray to him today and accept him today as your Lord and Savior? If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.